You are now listening to the Do Something Good Today podcast, brought to you by Everybody's Juice, a podcast reminding you to do something good today for your body, mind, or soul. We're back with another episode of the Do Something Good Today podcast. I'm here with one of my favorite people. She is a very, very kind person, very knowledgeable person. We've been going strong for about, about four or five years now, and she's just like she's like my resident therapist, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> like I said, very kind-hearted person, very sweet, intelligent woman, Esther Borkin. Hey, everybody! I'm so excited to be here. It's been a while. It's been it's been a long time. So what what's been going on with you? I know we're you know in this pandemic, everybody's trying to stay safe, stay calm, stay sane. Yeah. What have you been up to? Work, 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 and more work. It definitely has been, um, you know, I think being a therapist, I think being in any role during this last year that is about helping to take care of other people, like your, your job, your profession is giving support has been a challenge. You know, I talk a lot about self-care and, you know, I have a whole team of therapists. I talk to them all the time. But, like, this has been a year of, like, you know, do your work, do your actions match your words when it comes to actually prioritizing self and making sure that we are good before we start giving away to other people, which is, you know, a thing I talk to clients about, but definitely something I've had to, like, really focus on this year and last year. Got to implement yourself. Mm-hmm. This has been, I don't think, well, since, I, I mean, I can't remember a time where we've prioritized being isolated mm-hmm. in society, and it's just like, you know, I feel like in society we thrive off of, you know, social gatherings and relationships and things like that. And it's been been kind of tough. So, I mean, have you seen like an uptick in people who have been dealing with depression and anxiety because of the isolation that's been required over the past, what, 18, 19 months? So I think there's definitely a little bit. I've been, in some ways, I feel like I'm sort of the bearer of bad news, Um, you know, but as a therapist who... A lot of my work, especially early in my career, was working around with people um, who had a history of trauma. I think we're going to see a lot more depression and anxiety over the next, like, three to five years. Because in the middle of it, everybody's in survival mode. And so whatever you sort of strategies you develop to get through, then you start to get back into kind of quote-unquote normal life, and, and those things aren't as helpful at that point. I think what I've seen, which is maybe a little bit of a silver lining, is a real increase in people wanting to explore their own needs a little bit more, right? Like wanting to be a little more emotionally aware, evaluating like the actual quality of their relationships and the time they spent socializing. I think in some ways, it's while it's been really hard to be so isolated, it's also forced a lot of people to start thinking about what connection really means to them. Right? Like, if you're at happy hour three or four nights a week and you see your coworkers and, like, you know, you have dinner every night with, you know, a spouse or a partner or, you know, you're out with your best friends, we're so busy doing things with people that this is really forced a time of, like, not just being lonely but being clear about what you're lonely for, right? Like, you 
you stayed at home with like your partner and you realized how lonely you are. You start having to be like, wait a minute, is am I getting what I actually need out of these relationships? I mean, we think we're so social, but we're not always just kind of evaluating our emotional needs and how well we're meeting those with others and they're meeting ours. So you you think that the pandemic barring the the major effects of what we've been yeah. seeing? Do you see things like this being like a plus for people to prove themselves? I do. I do. I mean, I say, I hesitate to say it because I think often we think about like the good stuff is feeling good. Right. It's not a feel good plus, right? Like it's, it's work. Um, it, it means shape. For some people, it means that their relationships have shifted or changed or ended. But I, I do think that there's, a, I think that is, it's a plus if you want to make it one. Right? It's an opportunity. I think what this time has really given us was an invitation to get to know ourselves better and also to be more intentional about the way we live our lives and in particular the way we connect to other people. Why do you think so many people struggle with being by themselves or just being lonely? Because, or I, I don't even want to say just lonely, but just being, you know, by yourself. I, I mean, a lot of... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 what are you going to say? I was going to say, like, whether that's, like, in a, a romantic part of your life or, you know, just a social platonic side. Like, why do you think that people just can't be comfortable with sitting in solitude? I, because I think a lot of us are uncomfortable. I mean, really, sitting in solitude is about sitting with yourself. And so whatever parts of yourself that, and your history and your story, that it make you uncomfortable, that you might be carry shame around, that we're painful, when we're alone with ourselves, we have, those things come up, right? Like, we can't avoid them, and I think that's part of what, for some people, beginning to see the ways in which we use connection to others, not just because it's supportive and, frankly, a biological need of human beings is to be connected, but also that those things become distraction. I don't have to sit with, you know, if you spend every day at work chit-chatting with your coworkers and then going out for drinks, it distracts you from sitting with maybe the sense of unfulfillment or feeling stuck or stagnant in your professional life, right? Like being home and isolated really is about looking in the mirror and there's a and it's true for all of us. As much as, you know, I work on myself and, you know, all the parts of myself that maybe I don't like think are the best parts. And even for me as a therapist who has spent years doing that work on myself, it's still hard sometimes. And so I think we have to kind of, on the one hand, I, I always sort of challenge people, like, you're not going to grow if you're attached to kind of the bullshit. Like, you don't want to look at what's your part in whatever doesn't work in your life. And at the same time, we need to do that with compassion, right? Like, it's not just sort of like, well, you you suck or you don't like yourself. And that's, that's why you can't be alone. It's, it's hard. So I'm guessing that's why a lot of relationships didn't make it through the pandemic because mm-hmm. they were so distracted by what other factors were going on in their life. And it was like, you're, you're forced to sit and spend these time with your partner. And it's just like, you start looking at them different. Yeah, you do. You start to look at, you look at them differently. And I think it really goes back to something I talk about a lot when it comes to like dating and relationships is so much of what works or doesn't work has to do with how well we know ourselves. And so if you're in this space, you start looking at what people are doing and you're like, oh, is, does this fulfill me? Does this meet my needs? I think the other part is you get 
one half of the partnership that's like, oh, I need to work on some stuff, right? Like I looked at my, I gotta, I have some things I need to process or think through or whatever. And they start doing that work. And then they have a partner who's like, I'm going to pick up a dozen new hobbies because I'm not interested in working this. Like, I'm good just the way I am. I don't want to change any behaviors. I don't want to do anything. And, and sometimes that mismatch of investment in your own, like, personal um, development really does kind of, that's oftentimes the place where you start looking at your partner like, wait, what are we doing here? So let me ask you this. So, and I want to piggyback off of your point because you, you spoke about, like, growing and growth. So when you realize that, you know, you and your partner may be, you know, going to like a fork in a road, you know, what what what's the best way to, you know, get back on track? Because you hear a lot of people say that, you know, we're growing apart. Well you just didn't grow apart overnight, you know. Right. Something had to have been happening in a gradual state to to get to where we are now. So is it possible to, to get back on the road? Because a lot of people say that you know, you have to leave something in order to, to grow and become a better person. I mean, so I, I always think that part is true, I think, which is often the case. We always sort of go to the external. Like, right. In order for you to grow, the first thing you have to leave behind are some of the parts of yourself. They're like old versions of you, your old patterns, your old mindset. Um, so... So leaving stuff behind in order to kind of grow and move forward doesn't always mean that you've got to leave other people behind or a relationship behind. Sometimes it does, but it doesn't always mean that. Um, I think this, I think where people struggle with being able to like kind of be on the same road is not investing in those conversations, right? It's very vulnerable to say, it's, hey, I'm, I'm sort of looking at some parts of myself, right? Like I feel like maybe I, you know, use a lot of distraction or I've not been as emotionally open to you and I, and I want to work on that. I want to be, you know, more open. I want to sort of recognize the ways I project things, whatever that is. To share that with another person, especially an intimate partner, is extremely vulnerable. And so even when people are doing that work, there's a tendency not to share. But if you're not talking about the ways that you're growing and evolving, it is incredibly difficult to have a partner move with you down that path because they don't even know that you're headed i think a lot of times people are like oh you grew apart and it won't work it's like well you're like six miles down this other path and like your partner you know maybe you got to mile three and they realized that you were heading in a different direction but at that point they're so far behind and they don't know enough about where you're trying to go that it makes it really difficult to kind of come back together so my the first thing i would recommend is talking about that, being open, being honest. How do you think that's going to impact our relationship? Does this matter to you? And not rushing. A lot of times there's sort of this, like, you get people get this insight or this aha, and they're like, all right, I'm done with everybody. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I suck. I'm like, I'm a new, this is my 2021 self. I'm like, this is the right. best I've ever been. Everybody sucks, and I got to get around. It's like, okay, let's pause, <laughs> slow down a little bit, and maybe be like, all right, Listen, here are the ways I'm changing. Here are the things that, are, that I'm not putting up with in my life anymore. Here's what I want to have more of. And then give people a little bit of time to see if they want to meet you on that path or not. Do you feel like society just complicates relationships? Because I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like it could, like Lauren Hill said, it could all be so mm -hmm. simple. I just, <laughs> we just complicate so much. 
And I think a lot of it has to do with, like, ego. But I'm interested to, to hear what you have to say. I mean, ego for sure. Ego ego will get us ourselves into trouble all the time. And it, and it does tie back to society, right? Because partially, you know, our ego is about, like, the self we want to present publicly. And so we get all of these messages about what a good relationship is supposed to look like, right? Like, what your man's supposed to do for you, what a woman's supposed to do for you. You know, you're all supposed to look a certain way, spend your weekends a certain way. And so it does require you to step out of that ego space that's like, I, this, I want everyone to know I'm in this type of relationship to, does this type of relationship actually feel good to me? Right? Like, it's nice to, you know, I... So, like, a simple, very, a personal example is, like, you know, I, I've been in relationships. I was, in a, I was married for a really long time. That looked fantastic. Great trips, nice house. Like, oh, and, the, and, I, and those were nice things. And there were a lot of good things that happened in that. But as I grew and evolved, like, coming to a place of recognizing, like, it's more important to me to have somebody who understands, like, my passion for my work and, like, makes breakfast so that I can, like, be on it for, like, you know, like, my like my 12-hour work day than it is to have somebody who wants to, you know, who's going to buy me a Louis Vuitton bag. Right. Right? Like, but the Louis Vuitton bag is, that's something that people see, right? And they're like, oh, that's, not, oh, you just bought that for you for, like, whatever reason? Like, that's the kind of relationship I want, right? It looks a certain way. And learning how to check in and be like, yeah, that's cool, but actually what feels best to me, what feels, you know, having to figure out for yourself, like, what makes me feel loved, what makes me feel valued, what makes me feel seen, most of that is stuff that people don't see. It's the little things. It's the little things. It's the stuff that says, like, I get who you are and what matters to you, and here are all these little things that I do to support your you on your own personal journey of like growth and development that's really what makes for a good relationship and that is not that's not the stuff that we you can't instagram that i mean i guess you can but not really don't get a lot of likes though it's about the likes. yeah right a a louis bag and a gucci bag is like that's a thousand comments exactly likes you know but a man is waking you up to breakfast it's like uh that's nice oh that's cool coffee and some toast all right why isn't that why isn't the little things that fulfill you I just feel like social media has flipped the spectrum a lot you know Mm -hmm. it's it's glamorized the things that are you know not as beneficial to a relationship I mean you can go buy your own Louis bag or Gucci bag yeah but it's like if if that man knows exactly how you like your toast done how you like your egg scrambled like and he just wakes you up in the morning with breakfast with some nice juices like you yeah. just feel amazing. You feel thought of. You feel loved. You and know exactly. Those are things you can't buy. You can't buy that. You can't buy that because what it really boils down to is understanding who the person is. And and for some people, it is that. Like I definitely have some friends and like clients and, and you know like I know people where it's like you know get a new pair of like Gucci shoes. Like that means the world because that's something that they love. Like they they're all about you know their fashion and their look and like that's meaningful. So that gift, while it also might be Instagrammable, like look real good, it's the reason that it's meaningful is because it's coming from a place of saying I know you and what 
sort of speaks to you in terms of letting you know that I'm thinking of you, I'm prioritizing you. And I think it is one of those, and it goes back to the piece of we live in a culture that is kind of consumed with distraction, right? Like not, it's very focused on the external as opposed to focusing on the internal. We don't ask, we don't, people, my favorite thing to say to clients when they're kind of getting back into dating is like the first three dates, the only question that matters is how do I feel on this date? Do I want to see this person again? But typically, first three dates is literally just like, did I have fun? Were you cool? Should we, do I, do I want to do this again? But we live in a culture that is very consumed by what other people think. That that's the measure of how well we're doing, if we're succeeding or not. And so people go on first dates and are asking, did they like me? How do we look together? Where did they take me? Did, you know, did I talk too much? Like, we're so focused on what the other person thinks that then, you know, six months later, you're in a relationship with somebody that really, on dates one, two, and three, you didn't really want to talk to them then. Like, you for sure don't want to talk to them six months down the road. But now you're in this relationship because they liked you, right? Like, they pursued you, and then that's how people are choosing. you got to pursue what you want for yourself. you got to know yourself to be able to pursue that first. And so this, I want to know, as far as something that gets thrown out perpetually is, like, love language. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, like, I'm, like, on a fence. Okay. I'm 50%, I'm, I'm like, 50% I agree with it, and 50% is just like, ah, it's, it's just some bullshit. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to find out, like, what, like, how do you feel about it? Like, do you think that those are actual things that can, you know, propel a long relationship? I want to know what, what's the 50% bullshit? I'm curious now. 50% bullshit is just like, every person is different. Mm-hmm. So, I just don't believe in... I just feel like you got to talk, and I don't believe a quiz can tell you how to love your partner or how to love your spouse. The best way to find that out is to actually talk with them, figure out what they like, what they desire, what their passion is, what their wants and needs are, and that's how you, you know, you love on your partner. I don't think that if she just takes a quiz, then it's just like, okay, I got it. You like affirmations and, and, and physical touch. Like, no, like, talk to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's like the old school of me. I believe I was here before time. So. <laughs> but I really, really take no quizzes in my previous life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, yo, talk to me. Like, come and talk to me. Like, that's just where I stand. No, I, and, I, and I totally agree with that, obviously. is um, It is talking. It is communicating. So I like the five love languages as a tool to facilitate exactly what you're talking about. And I think... And I think that this is true for a lot of different things. And unfortunately, we get, oh, it's the love languages, or it's this book, or it's this thing. Because, you know, we're humans. We want to simplify stuff, right? Like, take this quiz, and now I know how to love you, and we're going to be happy for the rest of our lives. Like, that's not how it is. That's just not what it means to be a human being. And for sure, in relationship with another human being, it's never going to be a one-and-done kind of a thing. I do, I like it from the perspective of, I think that a lot of people struggle to articulate their feelings. They, going back to the, like, not spending enough time thinking and being with yourself to understand what works for you, what you like, what has meaning, what doesn't. And so I like it from that perspective, because I think the other part is, people 
one of those conversations, or they don't have them in enough detail to understand what matters. You know, the example I would give is like, let me think. So I can think of somebody who might be like, their love language might be words of affirmation. But maybe they're with a partner who, the only time they do write, have like a lot of words of affirmation is when they give gifts, right? Like they always write like a sweetened card. So from that partner's perspective, it may seem like, oh, the love language is gifts. Every time I give something, it's really meaningful. And they're missing an opportunity to have a conversation where it's like, oh, no, what's meaningful about every gift is what you write in the card. And then there's a multitude of other ways that you can be incorporating that into your relationship, right? Like leave a post-it, also learn how to maybe articulate those feelings verbally a little bit more regularly. Um, and so I like to encourage people to like use it as a tool. It's also a good way to think about, because this is another sort of societal myth, is that like, well, if you love me, you'll know how to love me. You know, I just saw, I can't remember who it was. I just saw somebody post about it who was kind of making the point that I like to make, you know, saying like, people say like, oh, I don't want to have to teach someone how to love me. Like, no, we teach, but that's it. Like, it's literally your whole life. And if you think about it, really, from the time that you were an infant, your whole life is teaching people how to love and care for you. Yeah. babies cry not because it's fun they cry as a way to let you know I need something from you and like parents who are pretty attuned pretty quickly begin to know like oh this this kind of cry means that they're hungry this cry means that they need a diaper change this cry just means they're cranky and I gotta walk them or go for a drive or whatever that process doesn't change when you get to adulthood if anything it becomes more complicated because babies and toddlers and children they don't care they don't tell you what they want, what they need, in the most direct. They don't really care about your feelings. They don't care how you, if you think that they're being dramatic or is it, is it okay that I need this from you, right? Like a five-year-old doesn't ask themselves that question. Is it okay that I, you know, want my mom to rub my back when I go to sleep at night? Like they don't, they don't care. <laughs> rub my back. Yeah. Are you babysitting tonight? Rub my mom rubs my back. Rub my back. Like just do it. But as we move into adulthood, going back to kind of your point around society, is like we start to internalize these messages, right? Like, don't be thirsty, don't be too needy, this is high maintenance, that's, yeah, that's too much, that's too soft, you know, you don't want to be that kind of man, you don't, and so we start closing down on all of these things that we need, and we think that we can compartmentalize it, like box it up. But all, all that really happens is we begin to resent the partner who doesn't meet those needs and or we start seeking those needs someplace else. And that doesn't just mean like infidelity, like another person. We, people do that through work. People do it through shopping. They do it through video games, being on your phone all the time. Like there's all these ways where we're essentially just trying to have our needs met without ever articulating them. That's a perfect point because as a man, aren't you here like don't be soft? Like, oh, that's too much. But no, sometimes, like, it's it's cool to do too much. Like, you should do you too should much. You should do too much. Yes. <laughs> you should do too much. Like, that's that's necessary. In order, if you if you have a partner that you seeked out and you desire to have that person, you should do too much. Mm -hmm. like, that, and I think that it comes back to what we talked about earlier, like ego. Like, painting a picture of how society sees you versus living in your comfortable state of who you truly are. 
Yeah. And how do you, I guess it's tough because, I mean, we're, we're in this society now where it's just like we're on our phones 24-7. So it's hard to break away from a virtual world that really doesn't exist because you can delete the app and the app no longer exists. But we're, 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 we have so much access to a virtual world where it kind of takes away from us just, you know, living in our free state. And we see things and it's just like, that's how it should be. Or mm-hmm. that's what I want. And it's difficult because that's made dating. that I feel like social media has kind of slimmed the dating pool a lot because people are creating these standards and upholding people to these crazy standards that nobody can really live up to a match but it's the the pictures that we see on instagram it's what we we live for so how, how can we get away from that um i mean right it's tough and i think part of it i feel like a little bit of a broken record it's such a therapist thing to say but a lot of it really does come back to like we need to get more curious about ourselves and our own motivation and like what we're really doing like why why am i on my phone all these hours of the day like do i really want that and like recognizing i think so often we kind of we're not good at separating like facts and feelings and sort of recognizing like making decisions about what we want in our lives has to incorporate like all of the things and so you look at a picture and a picture makes you feel good you think that's what you want right like or it sounds good and a lot of that is all of those things are really unconsciously symbolic of what you actually need right like i it's to me it's really interesting like i when i think about sort of what i hear like a, a subset of women right like a certain subset of women asking for particularly out of male partners then i'm like that's an unrealistic thing you know if you are 28 talking about you want a man who makes seven or eight figures and does this but only has eyes for you and also is going to take you has time to take you on vacation every other month like those those things don't actually exist in one person those things are actually just representative of something that you want for yourself. Most likely a sense of security. Most likely a sense of being valued or feeling worthy. Closeness. Close, right, like it's, it's an image of a feeling that you are missing. And until you figure out what that void is, and honestly start working on figuring out how you meet that need for yourself, you're going to be consumed by and obsessed with, like, sort of putting these things out here, these standards and expectations that are unrealistic and they're always going to disappoint because what you're really saying is I want these external sort of material things to fill an emotional void inside of me that I haven't even bothered to identify and so it really is a lot of like you got to check out of that stuff and if you're struggling to do that then really asking yourself like what is it that, what am I avoiding? Like I mean I love to scroll Instagram, be on there all the time. We all do it. It's okay. But like literally asking yourself, you know, if it's 1 a.m. and you're still on Instagram, but you're tired and generally you find yourself burnt out during the day and, you know, like all these other things, you need to ask yourself, like, why am I on here right now? What am I doing? What, what is it that I'm avoiding by scrolling through these images? Because it's something. Some, so when... 
And I want to ask you that, like, why why do we spend so much time in a virtual world? Because it's it's like it has a, a stranglehold on us. Like it is stopping productivity. Like people are literally like they can't get through with their day or they can't get through with their job because of social media. It's, this shit is addictive. <laughs> but I mean, so in a very like scientific way, it is addictive. It's designed to be addictive. I mean, that that's the point of like. It's a lot of very smart, nerdy scientists out here who are building algorithms, like, you know, who understand enough about, like, human behavior and neuropsychology. It is designed to be addictive. There's no question about that. So there is a, a point about it being, like, it's designed to hook you the same way. It, yeah, like, I mean, it's like you start, it's like if you start smoking. And then you're like, well, I don't understand why I can't stop. Well, in part because it's addictive. It's, it is physiologically addictive to you. But I think the bigger piece is the, the sort of collective desire to avoid discomfort. We really struggle, I think, as a society, especially as an American society, to sit in what is painful. And life is equal parts pain and joy. And so we are running from this part of lit, of life that we don't want to face. And, and I think, you know, certainly more so during the pandemic, it's been harder. But just think about some of the things that we have had to, like, deal with and face. The upside of it, which I do think is also a pull for a lot of people, is that, like, isolation and loneliness was happening before the pandemic. And so there is a part of, I think, our connection to social media that is about there are unmet social connection needs and that that's become a way for, for people to do that, right? To be less vulnerable, but to feel seen. If I post something and a thousand people like it, I feel seen, right? I, I feel worthy. We need to be able to translate into that, into like actual real life though. So I want to talk about dating in a pandemic. Um, a lot of people have transitioned over to using, because I mean, all the bars and clubs have been, I mean, it just now started to open back up, but you know, a lot of them were closed for the majority of the past couple of years. Um, and so people have been resorting to online dating sites. Mm-hmm. Um, are those really viable options to, to date someone and get to know someone and to truly understand like, if this person is someone you can see yourself with long time. Dating apps are just as viable as meeting people at the club. The app is, is it's not equivalent to dating. It's equivalent to going to a bar or going to a museum or meeting somebody in a grocery store. Like, you shouldn't be dating on the app. You're using the app to meet people. And I feel like that's the, like, and it's 100%. It's a great way to meet people. Pre and post pandemic, like it's people are busy, especially if you depending on where you live, right? Like in DC, I mean, there's brunch and happy hour nonstop every day. So, yes, you can go out and you can meet people, but also DC, as an example, is a city of people where you know people have hour to hour commutes every day. People work, it's a very type A kind of city, people work really long hours. So, yeah, and I think the app is just, it's just as good as committing to going out and meeting people in public. I think where people get caught up is just like if you, outside of the rare occasion, just like if you met somebody, if you went to, if you went to Trader Joe's and you met somebody, 
how long are you going to talk to them in Trader Joe's? Right? Like, you're not going to try to build your relationship. <laughs> Save it over, like, the freezer section. You, right, right. You're going to chat a little bit, flirt a little bit. You're going to exchange contact information. And then you're going to go on dates. You're going to talk on the phone. You're going to text. You're going to be out. You, that's dating. It's all of those pieces. And so, like, I think where people get stuck is they treat the app like, oh, we're going to build this. I'm going to find out on Bumble whether or not you're the one for me and we should get married. Like, no. But you're going to find out. You've heard stories of that before, though, right? Like, you'll see them, like, on BuzzFeed or something like yeah. that. A couple on Bumble gets married within six weeks or something like that, right? Yeah, and I think, like, the headline is great. But even in those stories, like, generally speaking, what you find is, like, oh, we met on Bumble. Like, I think I saw them during the pandemic. Then they talked every day on the phone for hours. Like, they weren't in Bumble messaging each other for six weeks and then got married. Like, they met there and then they transitioned to intertwining into each other's actual real lives over the phone, video chat, whatever you're doing. And then, sure, get married in six weeks. Maybe don't do that. But yeah, don't do that. <laughs> as a rule of thumb, don't try to do that. Like I, I'm not, I'm all for crazy romantic love stories. That's cool if it happens and it works. But you know, that's not the norm. <laughs> but I, th- I think that that's the issue. Is like people don't. You get on the app and then people treat the app the same way they treat like Instagram or Twitter. It's like you're on there and then you're on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. It's like that's good. So, do you believe those are dating sites as well? Like. Social media, like Twitter, IG? I mean, I personally don't know a lot of people in the U.S. who seem to do that. I have a really good friend, Paul, who's a match, and he's like, for sure, in the U.K., Instagram is like the number one dating app. Like, that is how people meet. But I I think that it's a viable option. Like, why not? Like, if you see somebody, like, however they end up in your feed or, you know, whatever it is, and you like how they look, then, you know, shoot your shot. I think I think you can start classifying them as dating apps because I think that that's where we're spending the majority of our time now. And now we have access to people that we normally wouldn't have access to, access to 10 years ago. So mm-hmm. if someone is traveling to Houston or something and you just type Houston in the Explore page, you see a woman that you like, you DM her, hey, I'm coming down. Let's you start building a relationship, and you, hey, I'm coming down, such and such. Let's link up, and next thing you know, y'all linking up. And so, I think it's been as easy. I think it's easier to date because also on Instagram, it may not be totally authentic, but you get a Snapchat of that person's life, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So you can see where they like to eat, where they like to go to hang out, their friends, their job, stuff like that, as opposed to, like, Tinder. It's not that, I mean, it's not that transparent. Yeah. I, I do like it for that reason, too. I think you can, and and you can kind of see, like, there are people who, um, you know, do you know any mutual people, or do you follow any similar account? Like, you, you do get a little bit of a sense of, Again, it's not their whole life, but you do get a sense of sort of who people are, or at the very least, how they're using social media. Right? Like, what are they, you know, if every picture is like a selfie with like little to no clothes on, that gives you a vibe. And it's not judgment on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it gives you a sense of 
what they might be looking for. And I don't mean that in terms of, like, they're just looking to, like, you know, whatever, hook up. But, like, there's a certain amount of attention-seeking, right, in that kind of behavior, if that's the whole feed. And that's just, it, like everything else, it's something to note. Doesn't mean we have, you know, we don't have to throw people out as soon as we see some shit that we, that we have questions about. We should ask those questions, right? Like, we should wait to kind of get to know, like, what else is there about this person. So, for someone who's been down, locked up, um, they haven't really dated since the pandemic started, they want to get back out, stop filling the crowd, see what's going on, like, what would you recommend? Like, what would be the first step of action? So, I think, check in with yourself, right? Like, what are you looking for? Which I, I was saying during the pandemic, too. Like, it, there's nothing wrong with being like, you know what? I just want to go have some fun. Trying to have my, my hot girl summer and just, like, have a little fun or whatever. Or I think I want to date someone seriously or whatever that is. Like, just check in with yourself so that you're kind of clear about your intentions because you want to be transparent in that. And then... As much as possible, start with, like, a, an attitude of, like, fun or adventure at the very least. Lots of people are always tell me, like, stop saying dating's fun, dating's not fun. But I, like, I think meeting new people is fun. Like, I, I think people are interesting, so I always say fun. But, so maybe not fun, but, like, can you bring kind of an adventurous, playful energy to the process? And then get out there. Like, literally, I think a lot of times what the struggle is is, like, your, people don't get intentional. Get intentional. Pick an app or two, get it on your phone, throw up a profile, commit to, depending on what, if you're more extrovert, you might be on there every day. If you're more of an introvert, where like all this talking to new people is exhausting to you, you might be like, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, I go on the app and I like look for like 15 or 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. And then commit to being out, going out and introducing yourself to people. Okay. So my last question before we wrap up, I want to know because... A lot of people say that, you know, I have a soulmate out there. My soulmate could be anywhere in the world. Well, it's kind of a two-part question. One, do you believe that we all have soulmates? And then two, is it possible to have multiple soulmates? Yes and yes. I, I, and also that your soulmate is not necessarily meant to be a your romantic partner and, and is not necessarily meant to be uh, somebody who's in your life forever. I think that is sort of the kind of fantastical part of it, right? Like the sort of like magical, like I've one soulmate, I'm going to meet them, and when we meet, it will be fireworks, and we're together for the rest of our lives. Like I, that's a fairy tale. Huh? That's a fairy tale, right? Like well, I'm for sure clear that one of my soulmates is my best friend. She's fantastic. Like we met, and literally, like we just clicked, and. We do not have a romantic relationship, right? Like, I don't want to make out with her. She don't want to make out with me. That's not what we got going on at all. But that's true. And that, but meeting her, it wasn't like, oh, if I never met her, I was never going to have a best friend. I have other best friends. I have other people in my life. And I think we need to kind of recognize, like, there are multiple ones or soulmates out there for you. And you have to choose, I think that's what happens. People get into this sort of fairy tale, like, I'll meet this person, and they're my soulmate, and so therefore, we're, it will just happen. We'll just be together. Like, relationships are about choice. You choose a person. There could be, and I think that's where people get stuck around, like, 
dating apps or being on Instagram is like you're always going to keep seeing people you're attracted to. You're always going to there's always going to be multiple people out in the world that you're attracted to that are fascinating to you. Being in a relationship is about choosing this is the person that I want to be committed to though. And forever I'm going to meet, see other people and meet other people that are fascinating. But every day I get up and I'm choosing this one person and that's that's how it works. So it's interesting. You said your soulmate. You, you said that you can meet a soulmate and you all can be together, but that doesn't mean you'll be together for a lifetime. Why not? If that's my soulmate, then we're supposed to be connected at all times, right? Yes, but that connection doesn't always mean that it's a relationship that's sustainable. I, I think that, and maybe this, this will get like a little bit woo woo about it. Like, I, I think that every relationship is also about helping us and helping the other person along their journey, right? Like you learn, you learn the most about who you are as a person and your needs in the context of relationships. And so maybe your soulmates in that there are things that you need to learn and experience that you're going to experience because you're with that person. But when you've learned that lesson, when you've grown, then maybe that relationship is over. And the other part is, like, just because we feel connected and, like, fated, right, like, destined to be with that one person, that person also has the autonomy to be, like, I'm not working on myself, right? Like, I'm not growing and evolving. And if you're growing and evolving, it doesn't matter how much you love them or how much they might be your soulmate or connected to you. You grow and evolve, and at some point, if the person you're with is standing in the way of that because they're not willing to grow and evolve then that's a reason to start thinking about whether or not this relationship should continue. And that doesn't mean you have to stop loving them. It doesn't mean that you never speak to them again. It just means like, oh, this is the end of this season together. Okay. All right. I, I didn't look at it that way. So, okay, so I have one more question because okay. this is something that I speak about. Um, I want to know you your definition. The, the difference between a connection and chemistry, because I think they're two totally different things. I don't believe they're the same thing. I believe chemistry can be created. I don't think a connection can be created. And I don't believe you, you're you supposed to connect with everyone that you come across. I think, I think that connection is intentional. I think chemistry happens. It just happens. You can, I, I do agree, like, you can create the right circumstances for there to be chemistry with another person, but chemistry is, I think, the aspects of a relationship and that sort of passion, that attraction, that just happens between people. But connection, like, true connection requires us to make intentional choices, right? Like, you may feel connected to somebody in the beginning, you know, stages of a relationship but if you're going to have meaningful emotional connection then that means every day you're making choices to invest in that connection connection is not self-sustaining i like that that's that's like a perfect finish for this okay. conversation <laughs> thank you Amazing. i just love talking to you you're like a a, a light of like it's just so much knowledge it's just like damn like i never thought about 
some of the things that you say, but they make like perfect sense. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. I appreciate it. Can you give like all your social media? Um, any type of events or webinars you have coming up so people can log in with you? Absolutely. Um, so you can find me everywhere on social media at Esther B M F T. Uh, I am most active on Instagram, so like if you're actually trying to like talk to me, go to Instagram. Um, let's see. If you're interested, probably the best website to go to is estherboykin.com. From there, you can connect to like my my private practice group, Therapy Associates, and then the sort of events and media division of that, which is therapy is not a dirty word. I do have a, it will be our first in-person happy hour since the pandemic. Uh, so therapy is not a dirty word happy hour. It will be July 30th. You can get tickets. You can come and hang out. Every Friday I do Instagram Live with my friend Erica. It's basically this. We just talk about things that therapists like to talk about. But you can actually come and join us for that conversation live on the 30th and then hang out and we'll talk. Um, July is Minority Mental Health Month. So we'll be talking with people about how do we talk about mental health inside of our various cultural and, and sort of racial identities and, and how do we take care of ourselves in that, in that way. Okay, cool. Cool. That sounds amazing. Once again, this is the episode of the Do Something Good Today podcast. This is Esther Borkin. Thank you again, Esther. I had a blast. Um, you can find this podcast on all streaming platforms and YouTube. Thank you again, and we out.